Welcome back to the show where we look at the biases, beliefs, misunderstandings, and misconceptions that act as barriers and obstacles to change in organizations, what I call monsters and myths. And today's guest is a very old friend, and I don't mean that in terms of age in years, although he is actually the same age as me, despite me having so much grayer hair. Uh, but this guest and I go way back to the early 80s when we spent two years in the military together and uh, we lost contact for a good couple of years in between and reconnected just recently. So it is with my greatest pleasure to introduce a very old friend, Stan Horwitz. Stan, would you like to tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself and how it is that you've come to encounter so many monsters and myths in your life? So, Andrew, uh, thank you for, firstly, thank you for the opportunity. I mean, it's been amazing just reconnecting with you after all these years. And it's very clear that when you and I start a conversation, it just seems that, uh, time goes by in a, sort of literally 10 seconds and uh, it's just amazing to see the the absolute connection and well done for the amazing work that you're doing in helping just to almost to surface those those myths and monsters so that they're debated and they're, they're not the elephants in the room anymore and we can have debate and discussions around them so yeah it's been fantastic yeah i've been i've been saying to people that the biggest problem with the monsters and myths is that most of the time they left to thrive and survive in the shadows of organizations because nobody wants to talk about them so the exactly. first step is actually acknowledging them uh, but what have you done that that uh, meant that you've encountered many of them yeah, well, my career goes back over a long period of time, mainly focused in organizations around uh, organization development and change and transformation. So having worked uh, as a consultant probably for the last 20 years and also on the inside of organizations, um, I've had that experience of both, um, you know, kind of experiencing all the political myths and and, and monsters internally and then also just encourage uh, encountering you know from an external perspective a broader perspective across industries and across uh, multiple functions and multiple sources in the areas of change and human relations uh, hr and organization development um it's been a lot of time recently around the whole area around digital and um disruption um a disruption here by nature and uh, i don't know if it's nurture or nature but probably both. Um, and yes, so I think the value that gets added is by firstly ideating properly in any change initiative and thinking through certain long held assumptions that are, are kind of ingrained in our collective memories almost through past experiences and recognizing that, you know, we're moving out of this linear world and into a world, not just of exponentiality, but a world of um, complexity where we're actually forced to think and act differently and therefore challenge the known and also what we have understood to be true throughout the past because the past is the past <laughs> and it certainly doesn't lead us to the future but it brings us to a point of understanding where we are 
Yeah, that that's actually there's a myth stuck in there as well that has come up before with uh, the whole myth of you know what worked yesterday will work tomorrow we just got to do yeah. more of the same but we won't get onto that one because you <laughs> no. mentioned a word there around you've been working in digital and digital transformation and I know that this is one of your first monsters or myths so what is it that that that's the the big it one is. what's the first one that you want to tell it us it is Andrew and and I think I think so the first one I'd like to discuss is. Is, and, and engage a bit about is, is the whole concept of digital transformation. Um, it's become very popularized over the past, I'd say probably five or six years um, as meaning transformation. But I want to perhaps go back to this after, soon after the years I met you um, in my early years as a radical long-haired student um, at a, a radical university, so to speak, um, where the first thing I counted was Marxism and the whole socialist concept and the whole idea of economic transformation. And I want to get into a little bit around understanding what the words mean before understanding why I think that they are, why this could be a myth and a monster at the same time. And if we take the word transformation specifically, it means a change of something. It doesn't mean a change to something. So it's, it's an, a radical change, it's a significant change. It's not microlinear improvement processes of something. And when we look in old ways of doing things, you either change something and flipped it completely, or you made incremental improvements, be it operational efficiencies, wh whatever it might be in business terms um, around the change processes, systems, technologies, uh, people, et cetera, et cetera. But where the age is exponential and where technology is advancing at such a rapid race, uh, rate and we exposed to things like um, artificial general intelligence and AI, et cetera, et cetera, um, and even quantum computing, that rate of acceleration is, is literally not even exponential. It's, it's almost straight up. So the, the rate and speed at which knowledge is transforming itself is, is huge. So when we look at our old systems and we used to speak in the example in the 90s we had large erp systems those were moving from legacy systems to to replace those legacy systems with erp systems and technology systems and the the more recent shift is obviously around moving from physical resources into cloud and 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 um and taking up cloud and DevOps type of opportunities for rapid advanced uh, development of technologies. So the question then is, is that a transformation of the old systems where we, what, we, what we're dealing with now, or is it just a constant process of, of radically fast-paced change within systems? And that's the first, first thing. So are systems actually transforming? Are we talking about digital transformation? Are we, are, is the whole digital transforming? or those enabling what I call business transformation. So are and, we and, using and those is technologies? It, is it an actual transformation of your business? Because as you exactly point out, exactly. I think a lot of people confuse, they say digital transformation, but what all that they're doing is making their old processes digital. It's yes, digitalization to use a completely crap word that I've heard repeated many times, but, but actually it describes it. It's digitalization of a process. That yeah. is not transformation. No, it's not. If you're not, not transforming the way that you do something, no. it's not a transformation at all. No. It, you know. And, and even, when we, even when we are transforming a process, 
for example, insurance, a claims process and coming up with a new process, that's not transforming a business. So I like to use something, I'm going to say it slowly because this is something that I really, really fundamentally believe in. I believe in, in that we, we, we're involved with business transformation. In other words, shifting out of the, the current business models into radically new different models. Uber, uh, and we can take any of them. We can take in, in, any of the, the, the retail stores. We can look at Amazon. We can look at any of those models that have shifted from a physical into a, that is a transformation of from something to something, unless it's built from, from scratch, then it would go straight into the digital in any case. It would, 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 would be new. But in terms of older organizations, it's, it's a change of a business model. So for me, it's all about business transformation enabled by different combinations of digital technologies and disruptive digital technologies. And always that is powered by people. So that to me is transformation, business transformation. Digital transformation is something that's gonna keep on happening because as soon as we transform something in the digital space, it's already started its next transformation because of things like AI, deep learning, and things like um, artificial general intelligence and quantum is going to speed up that self-transformation of the technologies themselves. So the technologies themselves are constantly being replaced. So the value comes when we ideate and think about how do we use different technologies in different combinations to apply to something, to transform it. In other words, to bring about something that's radically new. Not, some, not the technology itself, not the digital transformation, the transformation of the business Per se. And that business will probably transform again, depending on what the next waves are as, as we move towards singularity. Uh, I, so I believe it's a myth, but it's also a monster. I, and we'll get on to the monster in a second. I, um, I, I had a very contentious keynote that I gave. Uh, well, the title was contentious. The keynote wasn't. The keynote was well received when the people understood it. But the title of the keynote was why you shouldn't need a digital transformation. And, and the whole, you know, to summarize up a whole 45 minute keynote, the key thing was that any organization that adopts a mindset of continual change that are constantly scanning the horizon for change and adapting according to the opportunities that are there will never need a digital transformation because there'll mm. be a state, yes. they'll be in a state of constant transformation constant. Constant. and that to yeah. me is a business that can survive constant it's almost that discontinuous change process yes. that that is constantly evolving but transforming itself yeah i'm not sure if I, i'm not sure if i necessarily agree on the business side because i think there is a fundamental transformation taking place in terms of old business models and new business models within larger scale organizations so i think in larger scale organizations a lot of the older models still work so if we take retail as an example, and this is going to a specific sector because we can take any sector, but let's just take retail as an example. And I think even after lockdown, we're going to see a, a, resume, a resuming of people wanting to physically go into stores. And I'll tell you why, because we, need, we are social at heart. We are human. We, we, we need that social touch, feel, connect 
which at the moment we don't experience in digital. When virtual and augmented and all these other things come into place, we might experience the reality slightly different. But right now, it's still an online purchase. And we're not necessarily connecting with those groceries. I don't know about that, but when we want to go to get an experience of a retail of some sort, retail itself will change into an experiential uh, space, physical space as well, rather than just a, a place you go to buy something. But but that's a separate topic. So we're going to see that return of people wanting that that physical experience. But at the same time, the online, without a question, you know, the 2000, when we spoke about the dot bombs um, instead of dot coms, and they're all bombed because we, we weren't ready for that switch over in retail. Now, where would we be without retail having taken off in a different business model that says we're actually changing our entire value system, uh, value chain system, delivering, et cetera, et cetera, into your home um, online as opposed to come into our store. So there is a transformation and technologies enable that process, you know, with the different apps, the, 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 the systems, the, 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 the backend systems within, with, within organizations, um, and also just the speeding up of what those systems can do via apps, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So but, I think the transformation, I even, yeah. I, I even think, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm not, um, well, you know, it's always challenging because yeah. that's the whole purpose of these, is a bit of provocation here. Even retail is continually transform and i'll give you an example the subscription economy did not exist beforehand and we've been talking about the subscription economy for so many uh, years but that the subscription economy is 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 becoming uh, more and more pervasive across more and more models i mean you know if you take something like rent the runway for example that was a complete transformation of the way that you buy high-end dresses, you know, yeah. clothing that you would yeah. normally only yeah. ever wear once. Instead of buying it anymore, you just rent it. You subscribe sure. to it. So all of these kind of so so that and that's where I was uh, I was making the point of yeah. any business that is continually adapting, and they don't just adapt to the technology opportunities, but they adapt to to people, to consumer behaviors, to consumer, well, that's exactly it. consumer values and that are constantly yeah. changing. I mean, look, you can subscribe to a car service now. Yeah. And instead of owning a car, you can just use it. Absolutely. When you, you know, what we're going to, you know, that, that, that lack of ownership, if we look at where the motor industry, and I'm glad you brought it up. I've spent recently two and a half years in motor very specifically and the changes that are going into that industry are, are, are enormous i mean exactly that the ownership who owns what as we move to to solar and and power driven you know self-driven vehicles etc and electric well we won't need to pay insurance and maintain etc etc because in fact we'll be wearing some device we'll get into that perhaps a bit later that will connect us to telling 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 our, our vehicle or the vehicle to fetch us at x y and z and we'll have an entire experience um where that that vehicle itself is not a vehicle it's just a means of getting from a to b but that whole industry is not going to be a vehicle industry or motor industry. It's going to cross over into entertainment, into advertising, into big data, etc. Because we're going to be captive in those vehicles. So the nature of technology is those combinations are enabling a massive change to the business model of what vehicle manufacturers would be typically doing, which is manufacturing vehicles. No longer are we in those silos of business. I'm a vehicle manufacturer. I'm suddenly into entertainment, into data, into understanding what Andrew wants while his preferences, while he's being driven by a vehicle 
and being entertained at the same time. So those combinations of what technology are able to do um, for, a, for, for the motor industry, as an example, uh, based on the customer's path and purchase and customer data, what we know about Andrew as an individual, is going to be fundamentally different to transforming the way the business actually is through those combinations of technologies. But that isn't digital transformation because that's that's because the technologies and combinations of them are, are constantly evolving and, so, trans so, and transforming themselves. <laughs> so the big bit of the myth is that there is a thing that is called digital transformation. And and one of the, to me, one of the the uh, the bad things about the that myth being perpetuated, um, the mayhem that it causes, as you were, because this whole full title of the show is Monsters, Myths, Mayhem and Magic. Um, the mayhem that it causes is that people, particularly at sea level in organization, often think digital transformation is a thing. It, it's a yes. defined thing. It's a project. It has a finite amount of resources and timeline, and it's one and done. Oh, we've done a digital transformation. Let's move on to the next thing. That's a myth. There's no- I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Transformation. Couldn't so agree with you more. what makes it a monster? Because that's very different. Well, I think, I think it's also a monster in exactly those exact terms. It becomes the monster because of exactly what you've just articulated, because we suddenly think, we, you know, we're in for a transform, digital transformation journey, and that's also what gets sold. Let's be honest; it's, it's also it's easier to package it into a, two words than to get into complexity of how do we unpack these things in terms of understanding what it means for our business, for our customers, for their journey, for the experience, for what we offer, and the way we co we cooperate and work with sometimes even with our competition across, you know, our silos. Um, but equally across our value chain so, and, what, and creating new value chains. So it, it becomes really, really difficult because the monster in that is if I'm caught in the mindset that I've now got this beginning and an end in a programmatic way of there's a clear outcome, um, we've transformed our digital space because we've kind of uh, run the following 10 projects and we have got the latest of whatever is in place right now and then suddenly we discover well whoa that right now has shifted within the past year and that moves beyond agile i don't want to get into agile methodology and prints and i don't even want to go there but but it moves to, it does speak to that agile mindset of continuous shifting of how the technologies are enabling the business thinking and that's that's the, the monster lies in if we're not doing that then we're constantly surprised at the 70% failure rates, besides the people in user adoption components and everything else that goes to digital, um, of these technologies, because it fails to deliver the value that is actually intended to transform business. And, and so the project might be highly successful or not, depending, okay? But in the broader programmatic scheming of how business maintains its value and, and its value proposition, to its purpose and the way it shows up in the world that's rapidly changing and the expectations of which are changing, it's, it's, it's the huge monsters that lurk below that surface. I think one of the other things, and I loved it when you, when you told me you were going to be talking about uh, this as both a monster and a myth, because I think what also makes it a monster is to the people that don't understand, who think that a digital transformation is something that's going to be done to them. 
one of the things that I preach, and I know that you do too, is that digital transformation is first and foremost about yeah. people. It's yeah. not about the technology at all. It's about people. And I think a lot of the staff in companies see digital transformation as this monster that's going to come in, replace their job, disrupt yeah. their lives, and therefore yeah. they are fearful when yes. it comes from above, we're going to embark on a digital transformation. And that makes it a monster because of yeah. their perception, perception and also yeah. maybe because of the misunderstanding at the higher level that the place that you start is with the the, the people. Yeah. That's the misunderstanding yeah. is that and, they and always think prepare. it's technology. Yeah, and, and helping them prepare. So, I mean, I've also just spent a fair amount of time, in fact, last year during lockdown with a large insurance client, um, helping to prepare particular business units and firstly, with their leaders, some of their leadership, and then quite a few of their, their staff as well, staff, um, to really understand what these terminologies mean. Okay, what do they mean when we start combining them together so that it doesn't become so fearful? Firstly, what are they? If we take things like AI and robotic process automation, RPA, and we throw it together with a bit of cryptocurrency and say, okay, let's go play. What does this mean for ideation, for the future of um, of XYZ in an insurance business in terms of what you're doing. So helping to unpack and demystify what these things are and then the combinations of them is, is fundamentally important. And then saying, if these things are possible in the realm of what we could do, how does that transform our business? How do we use them to transform all our, our uh, if we're internal and providing internal uh, services to um to the business to transform our function okay and then most importantly we spend a significant amount of time saying well what does this mean for me you know here i am having gone through this having seen one window in my life this is what i've done and it's being ripped it's going to be ripped for me so what have i got to do and then how do we navigate that together we spend a lot of time um helping do exactly that exactly that how do we prepare for the future for singularity and for the for the changing world of work and and also getting the, uh, the the employees and organizations to understand um, how can this make my life easier? Easier, exactly. Because, because when you do the digitalization, it often doesn't make people's lives easier. Um, there's a and and I'm going to have to put an R rating uh, on this because I am going to swear now. And and this was a line that I have I also frequently use in keynotes and that where I say when you um, do digitalization of a shit process, yeah. you end up with digital diarrhea, same <laughs> shit, but faster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? Yeah. Digital diarrhea. Yeah. I have seen so many so-called digital transformation projects generating digital diarrhea. All yeah. that they've done is they've taken the same lousy processes yeah. and just made them faster through technology. So uh, getting, getting people to understand these new technologies create new opportunities for me to make my life easier, better, give your employees superpowers. Don't think of it first as Absolutely. this is the way to cut costs. Absolutely. 
but but Andrew, just, just let's let's assume the best because I've also seen some that have been amazing. In fact, I think the majority at the process repetitive level of transaction, where there is thinking as to what the customer is putting the customer at the center and re re-envisioning that process around customer centricity given current technologies and whatever it might be that's enabling that i've seen some really awesome results in that space so let's work with that positive mindset first in terms of what it enables and say even if this happens andrew still be doing something in x way over x number of years given his frame of reference he's been he's done it really well he's been asked to do this in this way and that's what he's been exposed to. Now, all of a sudden, it's ripped from him. So the question, of course, becomes, you know, what do we do with Andrew? You know, are, are we going to reskill him? Are we going to, re, you know, build his capability? Can we reutilize that to add value to the customer? Removing all these um, transactional type of things through the process. And then how do we prepare Andrew? So just to give a quick example, again, in a diff, completely different sector, in mining in South Africa, you know, with robotics, et cetera, a lot of the mining process, especially deep gold mining is happening at far deeper levels. And robotics is enabling that. So we've got a massive health and safety issue, which has been radically improved. But we've got also got a massive empl employees who are being replaced literally as in motors, manufacturing and motors by ro robots, physical robots that do it mostly much better than humans are ever able to okay and that's let's be honest about it. that's what robots do there's a process especially when it's re repeatable and replicable and it's um easy broken into component parts um it's it's easy to to robotize or or digitize those kind of processes and repeat the same experience regularly so but what is the better, human form also, for andrew much better health and safety far much better health and safety killed. much but we still got to decide what to do with andrew the miner who's been mining and you know doing this for for 20 years and most horrible conditions deep down in the pits of the earth quite literally and we've got to reskill him so well how do we interact with robots and how do we build Andrew's skills to start monitoring the quality assurance of those robotic processes and what those robots and other things are doing? So there's a huge mindset and also huge accountability for individuals to start understanding that they are equally responsible in consistently updating their skills, their capabilities, and their knowledge. If they're going to wait for companies to do it, they are going to quite literally die in that process. And that's what people, we, we or many of us are out there trying to do, trying to help organizations, not just prepare for the business future, but helping them build, build the culture and the kind of innovation that uplifts humanity, that we use the technology for good, that we use technology for a better, higher order purpose than the negative stuff that's often associated with AI, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that's possible, um, but it does require mindsets. That go beyond often the the short term project or program of change. Yeah, now, I'm conscious that we're already 25 minutes in, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that's what happens when you and I start chatting. Yeah, I know. Chat for I a know. whole day. So, so we've had uh, digital transformation both as a as a monster and a myth. Um, so I know you've got another one for us. Yeah. That is yeah. a, a myth or a monster. You tell us. Um, it's a bit so of a, let's chat about yeah. that for the next 10 It's, it's a bit of a monster. And I want to talk about, again, and it possibly feeds into the first theme, and that is everything that we think we know. You know, we often think that we know, and I don't know about you, Andrew, but the older I get, the less, the more I realize, the less I know. And so, you know, when we think about AI and we think about augmented and, and all these things that are coming in our way, and we think about singularity specifically, and I just want to share a little 
little bit around singularity, the point at which machine and artificial intelligence exceeds that of humankind. Ray Kurzweil, Singularity University, time frame 2045. And we're seeing that rapid uptake, uh, especially now with quantum and AI and, and um, AGI. Also, I just want to just get some quick feedback on some research I was reading up on uh, two, three days ago, which shows that there were interviews with 995 experts in the field of technology and change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 10% believe that singularity will happen by 2022, so you're away. But 50% reckon it will happen by 2040. Okay, and 90% by 2075. So this different world that is radically different of everything that we know is around the corner. It's not something that's far off in some sci-fi fiction movie that we used to believe when you and I were a lot, well, maybe you were a little bit more dark ahead, but, but, uh, but, uh, but, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, that, that was in, purely in realms of science fiction. Today, it's absolutely becoming the reality. Now, with that, I'm attending a, a program next month. London Futurist is a group in London that has some amazing talks, and I think I might have mentioned them to you before. And one of the talks that, that for example, I'm going to is around uh, artificial general intelligence and towards an, what's called uh, almost an artificial consciousness. So that is when robotics start to form, formulate um, uh, uh, consciousness. And humans, too, are curing aging and all the things that we know about to extend our lifestyle, not more, beyond longevity, okay? Um, and also uploading our brains. And we know all this, this kind of stuff that's going to happen where our memories and everything else will be able to be uploaded into, if we ever want it, into different forms and into alternative avatar forms. And I've spoken quite a bit about this over at conferences over the last few years. But with that, what do we then know? Because is it the AI that we are implanting into us that actually does the knowing? Or is it us that's knowing? And then what is fact and what is fiction? What is true and what is not true? Already right now in social media, we're exposed with so much information that everybody's questioning, is this image that I'm actually seeing true? You know, what is true? How do we trust the source of truth? Is it something that's independently known? Is it something that we're blinded by in our own blind spots? How do we validate what's what's real and not real? How are we going to do that when we augment it and we are, and that's the fear of the AI part where we're controlled by possibly by, by something that's external that becomes internal to us or part of us as we morph into a, a new form as humans? You know, that is fundamentally important. How do we know what we know? Is there an objective, real truth out there? Or is it just from our perceptual truth that it's real because you see it in one way, I see it in a different way, and both versions of truth could be true. And so when we're moving into augmented and even virtual reality, let's not even go that far down the track and let's just go into virtual reality. We're gonna be spending more and more time in virtual worlds online and then what becomes the real, you know? Elon Musk, really, many of these guys are saying, are we already in a matrix, <laughs> you know? Um, I was gonna say, with the way that we're all been uh, doing remote and virtual meetings. We, we are, we've suddenly rapidly accelerated over the last year into accepting this. I mean, for all you know, you might be talking to a deep fake at the moment. Who's to say Absolutely. this is actually Andrew here? Yeah, I mean, uh, for those people who don't, uh, who aren't yet aware of deep fakes, just go and Google, uh, sorry, Google, go to YouTube and just look for deep fake videos. And, and they're astonishing 
that the, the way that the technology has has gone on and there was a bbc um tv series i cannot for the laugh of me remember it at the moment um but yeah. it it involved some um some cctv footage that had been deep faked to to set a person up to look like they had committed a crime and yeah. and the more you got into the program you thought hang on a minute this is probably real because the technology capability is really there. So it's frightening. So so it's the how do you know how do we know what we know? It's it's how do we know what we know is true? The, the yeah. whole crux of what you're saying is a massive thing because it's around trust. What do yes. you trust? What can you trust? And what, how, yeah. What will trust look like in the future? You know, uh, and who? Yeah, and, and how yeah. do we know how do we know how to trust so i'm going to give you uh, um something uh i did a, a submitted a chapter to a book a couple of years ago um and in it i i recounted something um that uh, i had given as advice from somebody who came up to me after a keynote at a conference um, they'd come up to me and they said wow you know mind is so blown by the stuff that you're talking about and i don't talk about far out sci-fi stuff i wasn't talking about yeah, transhumanism yeah. and brain uploads yeah, yeah. you've just been yeah. doing because you know i'm the first one in line for a microchip that helps my memory my memory is terrible but so i'm i'm not talking i always focus on yeah. three to five years maximum because sure. my focus is is helping businesses and change and transformation of sure. the now and next yeah no, um, no, i agree with you so so i was only talking about the stuff that's available now really yeah and yeah, yeah. and this guy came up to me and he said look mind is absolutely blown my concern is i've got two kids an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old what skills will they need in order yeah. to face the future and and he said to me you know what programming languages should i get, get? and i went no no your thoughts are in completely the wrong place absolutely and i gave him three things Okay, I'm going to bounce these off you. You have to wait yeah. until I've said all three. And then I would love to know what your response yeah. is because I know you work in the human domain a lot. Yeah. Okay, so here was my advice. And I said to him, in the future, to prepare your kids for the future, I think you need to instill three things into them. The first of those is an insatiable curiosity. Absolutely. and it's my first one. So, so as I'm writing this right down now, and no words of love, just written that down. Before you write it down, and, I would agree. Well and that so. insatiable curiosity and thirst for knowledge is particularly to enable them to form their own opinions. Because yeah. even he as a parent comes with biases and beliefs. And I said, your kids need to be able to know the process to form their own opinion. That's the first thing. Okay. Yep. The second one that I said was a sense of adventure and exploration yeah. in order for them to be able to deal with ambiguity. Because I said, yeah. the one thing yeah. I can guarantee is that nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And people who cannot deal with ambiguity will be overwhelmed by the stress and situations. I mean, if you look at how the world was turned upside down over the last 12 months, that has been a stress test of note. And the people Absolutely. who have dealt with it the most are the people with a pliable, flexible mindset that can roll with the punches and deal with ambiguity. 
And I think I, this is a very much a South African thing. I think we grew up in quite a tumultuous time in South Africa and, and it sort of baked into us. We know how to deal with ambiguity because it was thrown at us every single damn day, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that was my second one. And the third one, and, and I've got a bone to pick with most education systems about this, is that I said, you need to instill in them the will to succeed without having the fear of failure. Yeah. Because going back into our days, right, we were brought up to be terrified of failure. We got our asses smacked yep. so badly. Yeah. We got yeah. pained. We got all the rest. You were terrified to fail, which actually prevented you from doing a lot of things because sure, you, you're sure. going, well, I don't, I'm not even going to try that because if I fail, I'm going to get badly punished. The flip side of that is a lot yeah. of today's education system, I do not see eye to eye with where everyone gets a prize. You know, everybody participates, everybody gets a prize. Sorry, yeah. real world doesn't work like that. Yeah. What you yeah. have to instill in people is the will to succeed, the willingness to succeed. And, but without the, and, and they've got to learn from the failure yeah. and they've got yeah. to understand if yeah. you don't succeed, there is no prize. There yeah. is nothing. The yeah. life is the prizes go to the, the the people who succeed. That's just a fact of life. So if you don't succeed, right, don't take it as a failure. See it as a lesson, as a yeah. learning. How do you do better next yeah. time? So, so to, I, I yeah. guarantee you, if you get your kids to adopt those three principles, Agreed. they are hundred percent set up for the yeah. for the future. Uh, Andrew, I wouldn't. Uh, I would agree with you 100% on all three of them. I mean, I wrote down curiosity. I would have called the other one courage. It's, yeah. You called it adventure, but it's courage. It's courage to be adventurous, to go out of the comfort zone, to go into, into whatever it is and to leave the comfort of the known into the unknown in order to experiment and to play and to fail. And, and the, the reality is that our cultures, our education system, as you correctly say, often, not all, but around the world, is often preparing people for an old-style economy that was linear. And today, with complexity, our ways of thinking and drawing, connecting dots and being able to think completely differently and being able to see and anticipate that future, yes, maybe not 30 years time, but it's a reality, it's going to happen. So that's on the spectrum, but the five year, even within the five year increments is important to be able to understand how fast it's changing so that we can relearn and experiment and fail safe in that process. Now, the problem comes in when, and we, we, I use a lot of this in something called transformation storyboarding, which is part of the process that I was sharing with you earlier with preparing organizations for the future and for the future world of work, where we look at the patterns of how we formulate our views and opinions based on our past behavior and, and what we've learned. So we take the example of the voices in our head, the good teacher and the bad teacher. And if I ask you right now, tell me one bad teacher that you had in school, you'll be able to, straight away, you've already thought of somebody because I just seeded that thought in your head. And you'll tell me a story about that and what that influence had on you in terms of your way of learning and the way you were taught to think or not to think, but to regurgitate what's known and what is in front of you. Um, and it's, it's very different in different education systems. You know, when you can go into the outcomes-based education as opposed to rote learning, et cetera, et cetera. I see some differences in the UK as opposed to, for example, South African system. Um, the UK is teaching people how to answer specific things, but those things are changing. When the questions are changing and you've been taught how to answer X, Y, and Z, there's a time and place for that, but it's not always the right 
thing. I always talk about a hammer and a nail. If you know, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like the nail. You know, um, it's just the way it is. But it's not often the right way of getting people to ideate, experiment, and play. So when we're relearning in organisations and we're preparing for this future that we've been describing, it's fundamentally important to allow people to play, to experiment, to learn, to to take cell phones and use them in the classroom, in the workshop, to research. Not to say you'd get off your cell phone, you're not supposed to be using it right now. It's not allowed at school. That's absolute nonsense. Use the technologies to engage, to encourage learning, et cetera, et cetera, so that the known, the going back to the myth, you know, of what we do know might be that we know very little because we haven't explored other options of what's out there, or other ways of thinking, other other realities. And so we've got to we've got to be all of that into mind in preparing people for that future, that courageousness, that curiosity, and um, the will to succeed. Well, that's also personality driven. Also, we can have a dis different discussion about what success means, because that's a whole other discussion but but if we're going to succeed in terms of personal growth and we, we are going to be removed from these repetitive type of processes and these things we need to understand what our purpose is why are we here how do i align to my organization's purpose how do i make a difference in my organization and how does my organization's purpose make a difference in this world um to create using technologies for good using people for good and and those combinations servicing our customers in a far better way than they've ever even dreamed of not based on what their current needs are because they don't know what their current needs they don't know what's possible the average person still doesn't understand what's possible out there 100 percent agree Sorry. with you on that stan i'm going to leave the conversation hanging because we've hit 40 minutes already sure and and what I I'm sure that there's going to be loads of people who are going to want to follow up with you after this conversation as well and go what did you mean by that and what did you <laughs> um, so LinkedIn I'm assuming is the best yeah. way of them getting hold definitely. I'll, I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can go to it. Um, and I'm going to leave the conversation hanging and say, if you want to explore any of these topics further, give Stan a shout out, give me a shout out, um, come and see what we do. Uh, we work collectively together as well as independently. Uh, we're a pair of troublemakers that can hopefully help positively. You. Think and Positive troublemakers. Completely. <laughs> I'm always lighting fires. That's it. Stan, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Today.